Good morning, Maple Grove. All right, all right. Hey, I would like to start off our time this morning by reading some 2,000-year-old words together. Words that were written by the one true, all-powerful, always existing, always present, sovereign king who's over all things and holds all things together, God, and was penned by King David, the warrior king. And uh, we're going to read them together, so if you guys would stand up. And you have a line, and I have a line. Um, my name is Steve. Your name is Body. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, Body. No, never mind. Never mind. We won't do that. We won't do that. All right? I'll start off. And this is Psalm 96. Uh, these words are actually 3,000-year-old words to us. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Oh, nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world, the justice, and the nations with the truth. Heavenly Father, what an honor and privilege it is to come into the presence of the one King, the creator of heaven and earth. God, you made everything. You made us. You know us. And God, I pray this morning, God, that we will lean into your word, God, that we will listen to your voice, that what happens in this room today will bring you honor and glory and make a difference in this world that you so love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in this uh, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse study of the gospel of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. And man, what an awesome time we've had diving deeper into these living and active words. Words about our king so that we can know him better, so that we can see him more clearly, so that we can love him deeper, and so that we can follow him more nearly. Uh, words about his kingdom so that we'll understand what it is and know what it's like to live more fully in it and become much better expanders of it. If you were last week, you know that we came to a huge transition in Matthew's gospel. From the public ministry of Jesus, where he is out there doing his thing, attracting the crowds, to Jesus calling 12 disciples from the crowd to become his apostles to go back into the crowd on mission for him. And listen, we need to keep in mind the flow of Matthew's gospel. 
Understand, as I've said time and time again, uh, Matthew is, is very intentional. This ex-tax collector is very intentional when he puts these words together. Matthew chapters 1 through 4, Matthew is saying, hey, this is who Jesus is. And Matthew chapters 5 through 7, hey, this is what Jesus said about living in his kingdom. And, and by the way, in the kingdom, who determines and sets the rules for that kingdom? The king, right? And in Matthews 8 9, this is where Jesus demonstrates that he has authority over all things, over every sickness and disease, over demons, over nature, over sin, and over life and death itself. For about a year, Jesus has been doing his thing, mostly in Galilee from his home base at, at Peter's home in Capernaum, healing, cleansing, casting out, raising the dead, preaching about the kingdom, challenging the religious system of the day, attracting large crowds. And now he's sending out 12 very special men, his apostles, to go into those crowds and do their divinely appointed task, preach Christ and expand his kingdom. Bottom line, he's saying to these men in Matthew chapter 10, you've seen me, you've heard me, you've watched me, and now it's time for you to go out into the world for me. And again, I, I, I can't stress enough how important and how critical this moment is. I understand Jesus knows that his time on earth is short. He knows that he has only about two years left. And he knows that after the cross, after the resurrection, after he goes back home to the Father, once he's gone, he knows that everything, that the mission, that the advancement of the kingdom, that the spread of the gospel and the salvation of mankind will rest on these guys. Listen, we must never forget that they and now us are plan A. There is no plan B. What I'm saying is that it's either us or it's lights out. It's either us or it's experiencing the wrath of God for all eternity for the lost world. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. And so before he sends them out, he gives them his instructions, their marching orders, and what's been called uh, the mission discourse. There's five discourses in Matthew. The first is the king discourse and the Sermon on the Mount, and then this is the second one. Like I said, we need to keep in mind as we, we unpack Matthew chapter 10 is that these instructions were given to a specific people, the 12, for a very specific task so that not everything in Matthew 10 applies to us directly, like wearing tunics, Carrying staffs, shaking the dust off our feet, being flogged in synagogues. And listen, I, I don't think any of us are going to be able to raise the dead, cleanse leprosy, heal every disease, and cast out demons. But nevertheless, there are many mission, it's time to go principles that do apply to us. That are in the very real way, Jesus is marching orders to you and I, his people. And we looked at four of those principles last week. Principle number one. Going is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. In the preamble to these instructions, Jesus, he, he looks at the crowd and 
He has compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He tells his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, that the need is great, but that the workers are they're few. And then he asks them, hey, I need you to ask God to send out harvesters into his harvest field. And what we're going to do right now is, last week I put together a little prayer where we're asking you to pray this prayer that Jesus asked us to. So if you guys would stand, and we're going to pray this prayer together. And we'll start after I say three. All right, not on three, but after I say three. One, two, three. Lord of the harvest, we cry out to you this morning. You tell us that the harvest is plentiful and that the workers are few. You tell us that our world is full of people who are harassed and helpless, weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, help me to have a heart of compassion towards them, one that moves me to act, to do something. Lord, I earnestly ask you this day to prepare and send out workers in your name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we just answered, we just prayed a prayer that Jesus asked us to pray. It's pretty cool to answer a prayer of Jesus, I think. It's something our principle number two is going out is our calling. And do you remember that very subtle but yet extremely important change in the way that Matthew identifies the 12 in verse 1 of chapter 10 and how he identifies them in chapter 2, I mean, verse 2 of chapter 10. In verse 1, he addresses 12 as disciples, meaning that there were students who came alongside the rabbi to learn, and in verse 2, he addressed the 12 as what? As apostles, as delegates, ambassadors, envoys, sent out by another on a mission with a message. And listen, just like the 12, we must make the move from just being a follower and learner of Jesus to being sent, to going out for Jesus into the world with his message or mission. See, we're not just to sit and learn. Kind of like what Courtney read, right? We're not just to sit and learn, but we're to go and to do. We're we're to be the light of the world. And and you you don't hide a light under a basket, right? When I go into a room and turn the light on because it's dark, I don't turn the light on and immediately cover it up, right? That would kind of be dumb. That would defeat the purpose of it. You see, God wants you and I to both represent Christ and then represent Christ to this world that needs him so desperately and has seen so many pictures of him that are not accurate. Next going is our calling. Excuse me. Principle number three, going with others is essential. When Jesus sent out the 12, he sent them out two by two in pairs. Why? Because Christianity has always been a team sport. We need each other in order to fulfill our mission. We need each other for support, for encouragement, for accountability. And sometimes we literally need each other to go together on mission and sometimes to pray for us as we go. Principle number four we saw last week is that going does not require that you be a superstar. We said last week that when you look at the guys that Jesus chose, they were just ordinary guys, not a rock star among them. Just sons of ordinary Jewish homes. Fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, a doubter. They had no formal religious training at all. 
Just 12 guys who were mocked by their families, who were scoffed by the religious elite. When it came to serving Jesus, they were usually naive, often confused and unsure of what Jesus really wanted. Occasionally, they were prone to rash ideas. Hey, Jesus, you want us to send down fire from heaven to burn up that town that didn't want you? And two guys, James and John, the same two guys, when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, they get their mom. They ask Jesus, hey, do you think we could have the top two spots in your kingdom? That's who Jesus selected to change the world. Ordinary, maybe below average guys. And that's how, kind of how Jesus does it. Kind of like the guy we're reading about and her faith comes from here and we're reading Exodus right now. And there's a guy who's taking on a starring role that many people wouldn't pick, right? The guy's getting up in years. He's 80 years old. He doesn't speak well. He's full of doubts and fears and questions and excuses. He's hiding in the desert because his first attempt at serving God ended up in failure. And yet God called Moses, this ordinary guy out in the desert, to do something great for him. And Paul nailed it well in 1 Corinthians when he said this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when he called you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It'd be kind of crazy to boast before God. It'd be like boasting about your jump shot in the presence of Michael Jordan. Boasting about your Super Bowl wings in the presence of Tom Brady, right? I, I had to get it in there, right? Uh, boasting about your ability to make money and start businesses with Elon Musk. Hey, Elon, let me tell you, right? boasting in God's presence just doesn't make sense. It's because him that you're in Christ, who has become for us the wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. That was last week. This week, we'll uncover a few more principles for us in our mission for Christ. And let me remind you, before we do that, of one of the primary reasons that we come and gather at church. We come to church to be built up in Christ through worship, through the word, through serving, through community. It's kind of a time of reset and refocus so that we can be sent out for Christ. See, we come in here to get built up and then God wants to send us back, back to our families, back to our marriages, back to our communities, back to our schools, back to wherever we work on mission for Christ. That's why we're here. Get it? So that we leave here with the more kingdom-centered mindset because you ever distracted by the world and the things of the world? You forget, hey, wait a second, I forgot that I'm a child of the king on mission for Christ, headed home to heaven to my awesome eternity. We get distracted and so we come here to get reset. Hey, you're a Christ follower, your mission, God's with you, go. Okay, here's our text. Matthew 10, verse 5 through 15. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, 
Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. And, and that's our text. And before we begin unpacking it, a few commercials, and then a take two. Commercial, number one. I got the right date now. <laughs> Last week I had the wrong date, but in two... Yeah. Thank you, thank you. If you're here visiting, yeah. That's all I can say. Anyhow, in, in, in two weeks at 3.30 p.m., the men of Maple Grove are gathering to pray. And we're not going to do a lot of talking. We're not even going to eat. I'll have some coffee for you. But the primary purpose is to gather up in circles and to pray. I pray for our church, pray for our family, pray for our marriages, pray for our world, pray for our community, and pray for any needs that men have on their hearts as they come in. Maybe they're down, maybe they're discouraged, maybe they're facing struggles, maybe they're facing challenges. We gather in circles and we just simply pray. And so all guys are invited to do that. I actually put my phone number up there, 434-284-1057. And if you're coming to that, I want to encourage you to text me. I even have my phone off vibrate, so I'll hear it right now if you're texting me. But text me to let me know that you're coming. I, I tell you that prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference, right? And, 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 and you know what? I'm okay with guilting you and pressuring you to come and pray. Because I don't think any of those guys who came last week said, what a waste of time. Gosh, I got to pray for guys who were hurting. I got to cry out to God for, what a waste of time that was. No one ever says that, right? And here's the deal. If, if you're going, well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing that day, that means you're free, right? Don't wait till, well, if we get to that day and I haven't figured out something better to do, I'll show up. No, you put it on your calendar now. And if you have something you think is better than you get on your knees crying out to the king of the universe and benefit your family, church, and world, let me know about it, because I'd like to know about that too. Woo, sorry. <laughs> Not really, but that was pretty good. Courtney got it going. She warned on this stage. Okay, I guess if you love that commercial, wait till you hear the next commercial. <laughs> Boom. Oh, my gosh. He's talking about giving in church. Oh, what a day to come to church. All right. Just briefly going to update you on our giving through July. Um, I don't talk about giving enough. Um, last time I talked about giving was February 19th of this year. Um, Failsafe investing, storing up treasures in heaven. I encourage you to listen to that if, if you need a reminder of how important it is to store up treasures in heaven, right? Uh, but just because I don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not important, all right? And you can see, here's our giving. You can see this is the... Um, the weekly average, the total for the month, weekly average total for the month, you can see it. Uh, you can see that our, our budget need was uh, 6134 and our weekly average so far is 5547 and, and you can see uh, uh, that's 587 to the not good, all right, for the year on average. 
year today, hey, here's what we need, and here's what we got, and you can see the 18, 17, whatever, they're not good there, right? And, and, uh, and here I got something else for you in your notes, you're going to, you're going to love this, take it home and, and read it. Um, on your outline, I didn't put the word give on it, so I wouldn't freak you out when you say, oh, give it, right? But this is like true stuff. And if like these scriptures don't match what I'm saying, let me know, because I don't want to be a false prophet, right? Okay? Giving makes you more like God. Giving draws us closer to God. Giving's the key to real life, 1 Timothy 6, 17, 18. You can see the verses. Giving is one way we honor God. Hey, God, thanks for what you did. Thanks for sending your son. Uh, thanks for my family, my homes. Thank you for the roof over my head, the food in my pantry, the car that I drive, uh, the ability to go out and work and make money. God, I, I really appreciate all that you've done, and here's my gratitude for you. You've given this to me. I'm giving back to you. I want to honor you, okay? Um, giving strengthens our faith. Giving puts our possessions in the proper perspective. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. And giving should be in proportion to our income. Right? God's blessed us, and we return a portion back to him. And, and here's, a, here's a prayer I'm going to encourage you to pray this week. I think I have it. Or do I have it? Maybe not. Yes, I do. Will you pray this week and ask God if he considers a percent of your income that you're giving back to him is generous? And if you have your outline, circle yes or no. If you have your outline, circle yes or no in your mind. No, I'm not going to pray that prayer. I'm not going to ask God if my giving he thinks is generous, okay? Yeah, circle no if you're not going to pray that prayer. Because I'm convinced if you and I pray that prayer, he'll tell us, right? He'll say, you know what, Steve? It's really generous or it's not generous, okay? Make sense? Was that a fun commercial? Okay. And your third commercial is? No, just kidding. Um, all right. And as far as Gunt would say, Y'all get it together. No, you know, he would say. I may not be a simple man, but I know what take two is, right? So they get up and take two. Welcome those around you. Uh, ushers guard the door so no one can leave. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can chat with each other and the time that we can return to our seats to listen to your word. God, we just plead with you to be here. Holy Spirit, we plead with you to move and cause us to be hearers and doers of your word this morning because it will make an eternal difference in the lives of lost people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, uh, it's time to go. Principle number five, we have been sent with instructions. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. And that, that word that's translated instruction is a, is a very interesting word. Uh, Paraangelo. It, it means to, it's the commanding and giving of orders that demand a response. The commanding and giving of orders that demand a response. It was used in a military way, it was used in a judicial way, and it was used in a medical way. And, and listen, Matthew is very intentional when he chooses that word. It's a word for a military command. And when, when you're in the military and you're a soldier and you're giving a command by a superior officer, do you have the choice to obey or not obey? No, you have no choice. I'm looking at an ex-Marine officer over there and he's telling me, yeah, you have to obey that order. 
It's a word of legal obligation, like if you're summoned to a court. You have, to, you have you get a summon to appear in court. Do you have the choice? Well, I guess you do if you want to be put in prison. It's a word of a, a medical prescription. The doctor says, hey, you're not well. You're kind of sick. And if you want to get well, you need to follow these instructions. And, and so he chose this word very, very intentionally. It's a word that kind of represents the three of the offices of Jesus. He is our commander. He is our judge. And he is our great physician. And if we want to follow orders, if we want to get well, if we want to be acquitted, then we need to obey. Amen? And again, it's so cool, you know, that he chose that word intentionally, right? And so, like the 12, we've been given a command by our commander, right? We've been given orders by our doctor, and we receive a summons by him to appear in the world representing his kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Then he came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Again, like the 12, we've been sent out with instructions from our commander, our judge, and our physician. And you know what I found interesting as I studied these 42 verses in Matthew chapter 10? He he spends 42 verses giving us the instructions. And he does not spend a single verse reporting or recording what happened. Like, when did they go out? What happened they went out? Like, he says nothing about it at all. Like, I kept looking. Like, okay, what happened, right? Like, what happened when they went out? What was it like? Like, how many dead did they raise? How many demons did they cast out? How many people? He, he said absolutely nothing about it. I know if I was Matthew, I'd be like, yo, let me tell you. Yeah, you know, I was in Pern the other day at a funeral. It was a triple funeral. I was feeling kind of froggy. Boom. Yeah, I, I, I find a way, right? He says nothing about it. Why? Because the most important thing was not what happened then. The most important thing was the instructions that Jesus gave them that now apply to us. Instructions that, that we need to obey, that we need to follow. And now later, uh, Luke records in Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 in pairs. Now, they did come back, and they were really excited, saying, yo, Jesus, you know, the demons submitted to us. He goes, yeah, that's kind of cool. But he says, don't rejoice in that. Don't get all excited about that. Be more excited that your names are written in heaven, right? And that should be the most exciting thing for you and I, right? You know, not what things that happen or things we're able to do, but the fact that in heaven, our name is written in heaven because that is where our home is going to be. Amen? We've been sent out with instructions. Now, before we move on to the sixth principle... I have a question. Who is sending us out? Jesus, right? Don't you like when the answer is Jesus? God, Jesus, Bible, right? Okay. And so this is his deal, not ours, ultimately, right? See, we are not writing the letter. We are simply the messenger. We are the mailman, right? You know, we are not the chef, right? Like, I'm, I'm not up here like some chef cooking up a meal, right? That's not my job. 
I'm a waiter, right? We're waiters, and our job is to take what the chef has already cooked and not mess it up as we bring it to the table, right? Uh, we don't change the recipe. Well, you know, I need, no, we take it as Jesus presented it out into the world. It's his message, not ours. Get it? Good. And again, Matthew wants it to be clear that we've been given orders by our commander. We got to obey those orders. You know, I, I remember when I received my first orders to report to the USS Woodrow Wilson, SSBN 624, the blue crew. I, I got a picture of this beauty. Right there. She's beautiful right there. Right there, there she is. I loved it. And, 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 you know, the SS stands for submarine service, the B, ballistic missile, the N, nuclear powered. And when I received those orders as a 20-year-old kid, I was like, you know, I need to think about it. You know, no, they weren't optional, right? They, they weren't a suggestion. I got the orders and I knew that I needed to go. If you're a Jesus follower, you have received your orders from your commander, from your judge, from your great physician, right? If you want to get well, you want to be whole in your life, you want to be acquitted, you want to be a good soldier, you obey those orders. And listen, if somehow you convince yourself, hear me, if somehow you convince yourself that obeying these orders is optional, you believe the lie. They're not optional. Amen? They're not optional, right? If anyone tells you they're optional, they're lying to you. And who is the father of lies? It is the dark and evil one. Principle number six is that we've been sent out to the lost. He says, do not go to the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, they're to go and share the message with the lost sheep of Israel. They're not to go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. Well, that seems pretty exclusive, doesn't it? Uh, so is that what are we to do, right? I mean, if we just took that verse right there. Say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to the Jewish people because, I mean, it says it right there. You know, Matthew 10, you know, verse 6 says, only go to Jewish people. Well, that's why we need to always understand the king context, right? Right? Because people can take any verse anywhere and kind of make it say whatever they want it to say, right? And, and, and when, we, when we look at the context, right, realize hey, he's talking to specific guys who had a specific task for a very specific brief mission trip. It's the first time they're being sent out. Because later we know, right, the context of the whole Bible. See, when you want to understand the Bible, if you got a, a confusing verse, hey, what's the context? What's going on here? The context around that verse, the context of the book of the Bible it's in, and the context of the whole Bible. And, and, and here's something. Let me give you a, a, a little principle for understanding the Bible. It, it's that, you know, no verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scriptures, right? Like, oh, oh. It says this, like, I'll give you an example. Um, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21, you know, that the waters of the flood symbolizes baptism that saves you, right? Well, it can't mean less than what it says, right? It says baptism saves you. But we know from other scriptures, right, it's not just about getting wet. It's about belief. It's about confession. It's about repentance, right? So does that make sense? You know, does it, does it make sense in all the scripture? And another key point is that you interpret the hard to understand in light of the easy to understand, right? You know, like 
we have a scripture that says, you know, that for God so loved the world, everyone believes in him, I have eternal life, right? And if you read something that says, well, God only wants to save some people, you're like, wait a second, that's kind of confusing to me. You know, John 3, 16 seems to be pretty clear. Does that make sense? Okay, no verse can be less than what it says. You interpret sometimes the difficult in light of the ones that are easier to understand. Now, that was free, and you may not have wanted it, but that's okay. And so, he says, just go to the Jews. Well, we know, hey, wait a second. Didn't, didn't he say in the Great Commission that they're to go and make disciples of all nations? Didn't he say before he went to heaven that you're to be our witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? So we go, okay, we know it's for a specific period of time. But even so, why would he tell them not to share with the Samaritans and Gentiles? Like, well, there is both a theological reason and a practical reason. First, a theological reason. Uh, question, to who was the Messiah promise? Who, to who was the promise of the Messiah made? Who were God's chosen people? Who did God give the law and make a covenant with? The Jews. Who was actually waiting for the Messiah? It was the Jews. Understand, Jesus sending the 12 first of the Jews affirms God's plan that salvation was to come to and through the Jewish people. Uh, we see it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, check out what Jesus said to the woman in Samaria in, in John chapter 4. He's, he's letting her know he's a Messiah, talking about what true worship is. And he says in John 4, verse 22... You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. And here's the bottom line. It was never God's plan for salvation to come, just come to the Jews, but to come to the Jews and then move through the Jewish people. And that's how it's played out, right? Think about it. Uh, Twelve apostles were what? They're all Jewish people, right? Uh, the early church for the first several years was made up of all Jewish people. In fact, until Acts chapter 8, when Philip, a guy the apostles set apart to help them do the church stuff, went to Samaria to share Christ. But for several years, it's just you. It came first to the Jews. When Paul began his, when Paul did his missionary journeys, where did he usually go first? He went to the, the synagogues, right? Uh, Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Okay, that's the theological reason. He say, go to them first. Plan, my plan is to go to them first, and they get the message of the kingdom, and they share that with the rest of the world. Some practical reasons of why they just went to the Jewish people first. Just think about who these guys were when they were called. Matthew 10. Uh, they were green. I mean, they were greener than green. I mean, they were still trying to figure things out themselves. They were not ready to go everywhere yet. They didn't have the tools. That time would come, but it was not there yet. They needed to mature in their faith before they were ready to go out into all the world. They need more training before they went up to the big leagues. Now, I'm a huge sports fan, and I like the NFL, but as a kid, I loved the Baltimore Orioles. Like, I grew up watching them. It was, it was fantastic. They were actually great back then. Then they got really, really bad. 
I remember I was in the Navy, and my mom was a big Oriole fan, and like, I forget what season, you know, they had lost like 19 in a row, fans are wearing, you know, garbage bags over their heads, and, you know, they're firing manager after manager. My mom calls me up, hey, hey, Stevie, hey, you hear the Orioles got a new manager from Japan? Um, win one soon. And I go like, what? Win one soon, you know? It, I, oh, I go... It, she had me for a while, like, well, when one soon, where did he come from? I never heard of him. Steve, he's, think about it. When one soon, son. You're dense, Steve. You always have been, right? And she told me, if I was there in front of her on the TV, she goes, Stephen, you may be a pain, but you're not made of glass. That, that was one of her favorite lines from my mom. <laughs> okay, anyhow. This year, the Orioles are doing real well. And um, last year, they... Uh, they drafted a guy named Jack Holiday as their number one draft pick overall, right? Kid just graduated. When he, he was still in high school, right? 18 years old, signed him to $8.12 million signing bonus to sign on, right? Largest kid high school, right? Is he in the big leagues yet? No. He's not in the big leagues yet. He's getting there, right? Started in single A, high A. He's in double A right now. But he's like, he's not ready. And these guys simply were not ready for the big league yet. Hey, let, let me send you somewhere where there are people you know, you know the culture, they're waiting for you. And let me send you where I've already gone. Like Jesus has spent a year in, in the same area ministering. They know about Jesus. They heard about Jesus. They've seen his miracles. They may have even seen these guys. And so that's the practical reason. Right? That you say, just go here for now. Get your feet wet. They're waiting for you. Get your feet wet. And, and then later, we'll send you out into all the world. Okay, so there was a, there was a, a theological and a, and a practical reason for them doing that. But even going to the lost sheep of Israel was a tough sell, right? Especially, you know, they did not see themselves as lost sheep, right? Like, 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 I mean, they thought, right? That's why Jesus offended them so much. They thought, hey, we're Abraham's. We're good because we're Abraham. So, hey, I can make rocks, children of Abraham. That's no big deal, right? And so they thought just because we're, we're Jewish people, we're okay. And, and to get them to realize, hey, guess what? We know you're waiting for the Messiah, but hey, you're not okay. You're lost. You're lost. And, and it can be very difficult sometimes to get people to believe that they're lost. Do you know anybody like that? Usually it's successful people, right? Usually when we know we're broken, we can't hide it. Usually sometimes successful people, right? You know, their career's going great, their family's great, you know, and, and uh, like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, people like me, I like me, you know, I'm doing well, and it's hard to get them to realize that they're lost. And, and so these rookies set out on their first missionary journey. They went to a specific place and to a specific people. We've been sent to the lost. That's person number six. And, and, and I want to add here, something, and I, you know, I got to do something real quick. Like my shoe string came untied. And some of you all saw this. I know sometimes there are bets out there, like when I'm going to fall on the ground or something, right? It, it was about to happen. I'm like, I keep stepping on it. Wait till after church is over. You can't in the middle of a sermon, like you're preaching. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> I love you. That's my wife. In case you're wondering. <laughs> if, if any woman compliments me in church, that's... 
That was terrible. Anyhow, we've been sent to the lost, and I want to add here, beginning where we already are. Beginning where we already are. And that's where I want to camp out as we wrap up. And no, we're not finishing out through verse 15. Yeah, I thought I would, but found out I couldn't, right? And I decided to stop and stop right here and talk about this point. Camp out on the fact that we've been sent to the lost where we already are. Scripture tells us that everyone's sinned and fallen short of God's glory, right? Romans 3.23. The wage of sin is death. We live in a broken, fallen world full of lost people. Who, as we read in verse 15 of chapter 10, it says that the people who reject the message of Jesus are worse off, and we'll look at this in more depth later, but the people who reject the message of Jesus are worse off at judgment than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's some heavy stuff. You know, and, and, and as we consider I've been a lot about UFOs lately, so I don't know if one's laying in here. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be here. But, okay. And we can look at that, all these lost people, kind of like I shared last week, you know, and we go like, hey, someone needs to do something, right? And remember I showed that, that little picture, and I mentioned a clip from uh, Mayberry, you know, Andy Griffith Show, you know, when they see someone robbing the bank, and, and, and Gomer Paul goes, Shazam, we better call the police. Well, I have family and friends that are lost. I got coworkers who are lost. Someone ought to do something, right? Well, you are that something, right? You are that someone who needs to do that something. And so these instructions are super, super important. Paul in his, his speech in Mars Hill said that, that God like, knew where we would live. He determined where we live. And listen, where you are is not an accident. Where you live, where you work, where you play, where you go to school, where you shop is not an accident. Who you lock eyes on, who you rub shoulders with on a regular basis is not an accident. And I know when we look at the, the great need in the world, when we uh, look at the plentiful harvest, when we look at the countless people in our world who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, we can think, how, how can I reach them all, Right? I mean, the, the need is great. It can be overwhelming. But what if we focus on just one? Now, not to exclusion of others. Not like you're focused on one and someone comes up and wants to hear about you. You know, I'm sorry, I'd like to share, but you're not the one. No, no. Not to the exclusion, but say, hey, I got my mind set on one. And, and maybe God already has one in mind for you. Like, like, what if for the rest of 2023, for the next 140 days, we focus on one? Again, not the exclusion of others, but focus on one. And what if you use your phone to help you do that? If you have your phone, um, quit watching YouTube or TikTok right now, right? But if you have your phone, I want you to go to your, to your clock. Go ahead, pull out your phones. It's all right, you're allowed to take your phones out right now. Take out your phones. I want you to go to your clock and then go to alarm. And, and, and then I want you that little, little plus thing and create you a new alarm. 
okay? And let's label that, and I want you to label that John 3.16. Okay, John 3.16. It says label. Uh, I just know mine says label. Maybe yours don't. Okay. So, so, so say label. So, so, so I want you to label it. John 3.16. And if you know that person's name already, put their name there. Like, like I, I know my name. I, I'm going to put Paul. He, he's a neighbor of mine. And uh, his dog likes my dog. My dog likes his dog. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to build a relationship, right? Because my dog doesn't like every other dog, right? And Katie, Katie even likes me. She's a really good dog, you know. Um, he's an ex-submariner. He's an officer, but you know, I won't let you know. I won't hold that against him. Um, uh, but we talk a lot, but it's never gone much deeper than surface stuff, you know. And, and, and I've known I need to do a better job, so I'm going to put I'm going to label mine John three sixteen, Paul, and, and I'm going to set the alarm. Four time, 316. No, yeah. You, you can do 316 p.m. or a.m., your choice, or, okay? And, 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 and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to repeat. I'm going to do it every day. So every day at, at 316 p.m., my alarm's going to go off, and it's going to say 316 Paul, and then I'm going to choose a sound. You can choose a sound for it. Here's my... Here's my sound. So that's going to be my sound. That's, that's the old song. That's cool. I like hearing those sounds. Okay, set the sound. Mine is give me your eyes. You know, I want to have your eyes, God, to, to see the lost people, to see the hurting people that usually I just walk right by them. And, and so, so you, you go to your clock, alarm, create a new one, 3.16 p.m., Keep, I, I love hearing those sounds. Repeat every day. If you know the name, you put the name there. And some of you will be thinking, okay, Steve, that's kind of silly. Is it? Is it really? Is it really silly to be prompted every day to pray for someone who needs Jesus? Is that, is that silly? It's not silly at all. Do you forget? Do you think that it could make a difference if for a, the next 140 days, every day you're praying for that person, that you'd have an opportunity to share Christ with them? You know, let's go to where we already are. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. Well, I want to go to India to save the world. Well, have you saved anybody in your world yet? That you're not ready to go to India. Amen. That sounds great. But how about your family? How about your neighbors and coworkers? Get that straight. Then maybe go to India, right? I'm not saying don't go to India. Do both. You know, this Wednesday night, I was talking to one of our students. And uh, I love when a student says, I want some advice. And it's like, and the advice is, I have a coworker. I'm pretty sure he's an atheist. And... They're starting to ask me some questions about prayer and things, and I'm wondering, like, how do I work this out? Like, when do I know to say, and what do I say? I'm thinking, what, what? Isn't that awesome? He's not worried about India. <laughs> he says, hey, I'm already here. You're already where you live. You're already where you work. You're already in your family. 
You know, we're sent to the lost beginning where we already are. And so I just want to encourage you, if you didn't have your phone, or if you're like, I don't want to play along with Steve this morning, right, that's fine. You know, but I want to encourage you, grab your phone and set that alarm. Remind yourself every day to pray for that person and, and see what God will do. Uh, there's a great book. I just want to mention the book. I was already quotes from this book, but um, my lot of time is, is slowly dwindling and it's gone. Um, this book right here. If, if you have it, read it again. Pray for One by Bo Chancy. Uh, this guy has a church in Manchester, New Hampshire. And they started, that's, their whole church is built on Pray for One. Everybody has a one. And they're seeing, they've seen thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. Because that's all they talk about. Who's your one? Hey, I'm having lunch with my one today, right? You know, and, and, and you know, in 2016, I actually have the date on my book. It's like April 17, 2016. And we did a seven-week series on it. And, and it didn't stick like, it, it didn't stick real well. And I kind of know because I didn't see a lot of ones coming to Christ, you know, but that's our, but today's a new day, right? So, so get this book. If you don't already have it, you know, uh, pray for one. He has a great devotion you can do on his website. You know, I encourage you to do this. And, and, and uh, I'm going to show you two prayers on the, on the screen real quick. Like if you don't know who your one is, you may not know. You know, Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today. In your name, amen. You know, you pray that every day. And what that does, if you pray that every day, right? You know, I found when I did it, I don't know about you, like, I, I can leave the dentist and floss well for, you know, for a week, and then I kind of slack, right? I, I, I did good for this for a while. When I did, I had my eyes open, like, okay, it could be somewhere. And then, like so many habits, right, it wasn't ingrained, it kind of fell away, right? Um, but pray this every day. And then once you get that one, like, here, here's another prayer. Um, if you have your phones, you may want to, here, go back to the other one. If you don't have the other one, it's simple. Um, Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today and your name, amen. And, and, and you pray that prayer. You know, if you, if you can memorize it, great. If not, take a, take a picture of it. And, and then, the, if you know you're one, I kind of make this one up. Uh, uh, it could be some grammar errors in here. Um, Lord, I pray that you will give me the wisdom, the opportunity, the courage, and the urgency to know when and what to say so that Paul... Well, come to know your love and surrender to you as our Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. All right? And, and, and I, I will read one part of this book, and then we're going to... But this doesn't get any more important than what we're talking about right now. It does not get any more important right now. Like, if, if we get this, like, if, if, if this word falls on good soil, right? Yeah? Not hard pass. I, you know what? Okay? But it falls a good soul. There's people right now today that are lost that by, by this year's end will not be. People right now that have hope that will have hope, all right? And here, here's what Bo says about, about a chapter called when you, when you Name It, You Own It. <laughs> when you name your one, you, come, you become responsible for sharing Jesus with that person. This is a calling on your life to be Christ's ambassador to the person you're praying for. Just praying for that person becomes unsatisfactory. You'll be compelled to take action. You ask God to use you to share his love with them. You will go out of your way to spend time with them because you fully expect God to move in a mighty way at any moment. You feel responsible and it feels good. You're more than a recipient of Christ's kingdom. You are a participant in building his kingdom. 
The monotony of purposeless living is replaced with passionate responsibility. You'll love like you have never loved before as Jesus reveals himself through you. You'll hurt for that person you're praying for. You'll cry out to God with unparalleled passion. You will plead for them. You will be responsible. And responsibility is a powerful thing. Amen? And so it's probably one of the most important conversations we've ever had in this room. And I'm excited to see what God does for us as we go out to the lost, beginning where we already are. Amen? Hey, would you guys stand? Every week at Maple Grove, we take communion. And we have some communion you can pick up at the individual stations as we're singing a song. And uh, that's where we collect our offering as well. And so, uh, and what we'll do when the song is over, I'll lead us into taking communion together. And we're going to sing the song called, it's kind of our theme song for this section of Matthew about building our life on God's love and, and then taking that love to the world around us, to that, that person. You may know their name already. Father God, we love you. And God, thank you for the 12 who took their mission seriously or else we wouldn't be here. And God, I, I pray, Lord, that, that we don't overcomplicate things. You know, the way we reach the world is by reaching the world that we're already in. And, and God, I, I pray that everyone in this room who has a phone will set an alarm every day to remind themselves to pray for that person. And God, I pray that over the next 140 days that you do things that blow our minds. As we see broken people put back together again. As we see captives set free. As we see people come to you and find salvation. And God, I pray that we will build our lives in this church on your love and the love we have for each other. And we won't keep that love for ourselves, but we'll send it out into the world that needs you. In Jesus' name, amen.